G'day, I'm Tom Rabbit, and welcome to Critical Line Item. Uh, and thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, some of you would know that Critical Line Item came out of a sort of a, an accounting type um, issue that I began talking about back in May 2020 when the podcast first began, and we're back to accounting again. Uh, because in recent times, issues about tax agents and what they do and how they behave and ethical pronouncements, etc., have been all over the news. A little-known body called the Tax Practitioners Board regulates tax agents. And they've, uh, I guess you could say they've struck a little bit of luck because one of the major accounting firms tripped up um, uh, because one of their partners uh, failed to keep things confidential uh, that were given to him as part of government consultation. Uh, to explore this, uh, an old friend of mine and a tax agent and a, and a tax trainer, Lisa Gregg, who does a lot of work in this space, we're going to talk to you about what the TPB is, why it matters, uh, what they do to tax agents when they do the wrong thing, and just to just generally give you a sense of why what the TPB decided is important. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Now, the TPB, the Tax Practitioners Board, is the tax agent's regulator. Um, you're a, let's start with you first, because you're a tax agent, you're registered. What does the TPB impose on you as a regulator to make sure to they make they make sure that you're kosher and you're ready to roll uh, as a tax agent yeah you can put it that way okay so um they provide us our ticket if you want to call it that uh just like someone needs a driver's license to drive on the road for us to be able to provide tax advice or a tax services as defined by um, the Tax Practitioners Board and the ATO, uh, we need to be licensed with them to be able to do it. So they check that we've got the knowledge, the skills, uh, and the continued knowledge and skills, and we have to make sure we're of a good character. So they have a set of um, rules as well, which basically says we've got to be a fit and proper person, we've got to have good adherence to the tax laws, so we've got to make sure our own tax affairs are in place and those sort of things, and that's what they do. And so we need to first register with them and then we get renewed every three years and then on a yearly basis, we need to make an annual declaration to make sure that we've done all our necessary continuing professional development with them or, or for them or in the industry through various fields and uh, that we have up-to-date insurance to cover ourselves and make sure that we are a fit and proper person and haven't been convicted of any crimes and things like that for the year. So that's sort of how they do it. Now, I've got to have two registrations Tom because I need to have one as me as an individual and I also have one as my practice that I operate under because that's my what we call our billing entity so if I invoice out of my business entity that's got to have a tax agent number as well so I've got to have two okay 
Um, one of the things that's interesting about the TPB is that uh, back when it first started, um, there were a range of ways in which people could enter into the TPB regime. <clears throat> and that was interesting. Uh, I mean, I, for those who don't know, I was involved as a company secretary for a registered tax agent association for a while. Um, and it's interesting when you see how the TPB works from the inside. Um, and that uh, includes a lot of work on the part of the individual practitioner to demonstrate that they meet one of the set hurdles for registration. Um, they might have training. Uh, they might have um, other uh, other things that um, relate to experience. Each of the each of the pathways had certain requirements, but once you met that pathway, you were in. Um, how did you get into the TPB regime, Lisa? What was the process for you? Yeah, it's quite interesting when you look at it because it, I was about to say it's a matrix, but it actually is a matrix of how to get in. So we've basically got um, a requirement on what services we can provide. So we've got payroll services or bookkeeping BAS services or yeah. we've got R&D services or we've got full-blown tax services, which is basically the top level. And then we can get in, as you said, on a number of different angles, one of which is if you've got all years and years and years of experience, you can come in, or do you have a degree or other qualifications? So I'm in on a 201, as we call it, Tom, which is basically we've done a degree, I've done a degree, I've done the necessary academic qualifications, <laughs> and I've had the, the required number of years of experience to be able to get in. So it's a combination is... The higher qualifications you got, the less hurdle you've got a number of years' experience. If you're trying to go in vocationally, which you can do, you've got to have a lot more years of experience to prove it. Because it's really important to understand as well, because I do a lot of teaching, learning the tax law is one thing, but learning how to apply it for your clients and learning how to deal with the, with the tax office and things like that is sometimes a little bit different. So you've got to make sure there's that combination of skills, knowledge, academic qualifications, and of course, on the job training, vocational training. Now, we mentioned insurance before, but I think it's probably worthwhile just coming back to that. Um, one of the things that the professional bodies require, uh, and in particular the accounting bodies, the three of them here in Australia, uh, the IPA, Institute of Public Accountants, uh, Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand and CPA Australia, they've got what they would call practicing certificates. And then part of that is that process of getting those uh, certificates is for people to make sure they actually have professional indemnity insurance. If there's something that goes wrong or a client has a claim against an accountant that is then dealt with through the insurer, the TPB has a similar requirement um, and the TPB does require that, and that's a consumer protection measure, not just a not just a, uh, a measure to protect uh, the actual practitioner themselves. So it cuts both ways. Um, now, 
it's all very smooth sailing if the practitioner is doing the right thing. But what we've recently observed is a case where um, a registered practitioner was involved in a government process uh, consulting on uh, what would be revised tax legislation. The, the, the circumstances date back to 2014 and then 2016 and and we're, we're now in a position where uh, a tax practitioner uh, from PricewaterhouseCoopers had had a finding made against him and no longer has uh, a registration with the TPB. In fact, uh, Peter Collins is who no longer works at PricewaterhouseCoopers, no longer has a tax registration that was terminated. That's the most severe penalty. Um, but he can uh, reapply for registration in two years' time. Um, what the TPB uh, has told the Parliamentary Committee uh, over the past 48 hours uh, is that the uh, Tax Practitioners Board is able to penalise people fairly heavily in terms of when they're able to attempt to re-register. The it's a five-year, um, the five-year uh, ban, if you could call it that, from registration. Uh, Peter Collins only got a two-year one, so in two years' time, he can try and reapply. Um, it's interesting that we're talking about the TPB today. This is a high-profile case. Um, what message does that send first to the community about? what the regulator does. Lisa? Well, it's, it's, it's basically consumer protection the way that I see it, Tom. Um, I mean, the big thing for me in terms of how I present my services is basically saying I am overly regulated, if I want to call it that, right? I've got my tax practitioner's board registration, my tax agent number, I'm also, I've got my practicing certificate from two of the accounting bodies that you talked about. I'm also, um, I've got credentials from uh, the Tax Institute as well in terms of knowledge and, and, and competence and things like that. So this is where we promote no, ourselves, no. right? As, you know, for, for, no, from... No, no, no. Like Re so, remind, remind me, won't you, um, that... Does the Tax Institute also have its own practising certificate? From it? No. Um, it doesn't, no. It's more looked at, I think of the Tax Institute as providing the knowledge of my advisory um, abilities and things like that. Okay, so I'm a chartered tax advisor with them. They don't have a practising certificate in, in, in that manner, but to, they offer... Um, I see you. CPD, and I've to, to, to continue on with that, that's all as annual annual registration, I should say, and all of them requires to, to do continuing professional development every year. Okay. We can use it, overlap it, but they all require us to do that to make sure that we can stay up to speed because, as we know, Parliament's sitting this week as well. There's more legislation that comes through. Even today, uh, we've got the confirmation of working from home deductions. We have to stay up to date with all the changes, so that's what it requires us to do. So what what 
what the TPB's role is to make sure that we are doing the right thing. But they're not doing it alone because, and this is the way I look at it, I see our tax practitioner board registration as being a subset of us being with some other regulatory body. So we've got, I'm, I'm, I'm on the accounting side of tax, not the law side of tax. So I've got two bodies that I have to stay compliant with as well. Yeah. And that means that I'm governed a lot on ethics and a higher probably level of ethics, you could say, than the tax practitioner's board, but that enables me to provide tax advice. And then if you're on the law side of tax, so you're, you're a tax lawyer, you've then got your, your practising certificate with on the, on the law side as well, right? So it is heavily regulated. So it's just one element to give confidence to our clients that we are very competent and we are very ethical and we do always do the right thing. Now, let's just pick up on that as well. I mean, there's a high-profile case because there's a nice branding involved. Um, I spoke to one of my colleagues yesterday and said, hey, Lisa, I've got a new client. The reason they've come to me is because they've got a letter from, now I can't remember if it was from the TPB or the ATO, it must be from the ATO, saying your existing tax agent has been deregistered, right? Now, the good thing about things that happen with the Tax Practitioners Board, and you've alluded to what's happened with estimates, and now who watches estimates apart from nerds and us and us people that are really interested? Yeah, and, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm happy to be called a nerd by anybody. Well, you know what I mean? People that are genuinely um, interested uh, in it. Oh, uh, <laughs> all that information is is online. So it was quite interesting. So I was talking to my colleague. I said, "Let's get on. Let's get let's get on and have a look and look at what this tax agent was sanctioned for." Okay, he's been pinged for the max which is the five years, and what did he do? He what he he basically was frauding the government on JobKeeper and cash flow boost. He also did not have his own tax affairs in place. So it's, it's very much named and shamed, and we know why things are happening. So if we want to have a look at what the role of, of how the TPB sanctions, it's all on the tax practitioner's um, board website, You've just got to make sure you Google it properly because if you just put TPB down, you get the Pirate Bay, which is the one you don't want. So um, you've just got to be careful of that, which is quite funny. If you just put TPB, you might get the, the Pirate Bay, not that one. It's tpb.gov.au and you can find out exactly what it is. And I encourage clients to do that all the time. Check that your tax agent is registered. Have a look at it. They've got a great search engine to say, I want to find a registered tax agent near me. You don't go onto Gumtree or something like that to find your tax agent. Find someone that is actually qualified because we've not only got the skills and knowledge, but hey, we've got, you know, we've got the ethical requirements to make sure we're doing the right thing for our clients. Um, one of the uh, interesting things that I think we did a while back in a podcast is we actually did talk about a kind of a checklist for, for people uh, who are out there in the big wide world who are looking for an advisor. So probably probably a good idea to sort of to run through uh, run through the sort of the, the Tom Ravlick checklist again. Just because it's been a while. I mean, yeah, if people are looking for an advisor, <clears throat> one of the first things to do you're looking for someone 
and you're talking to them uh, in the first place is to find out whether they're a member of a professional body of sorts and at what level. Now, typically, uh, you know, practitioners will be uh, people who have a practicing certificate if they're running their own firm. And you need to find out whether they've got professional indemnity insurance. Um, the other thing you will want to do, and we've spoken about the Tax Practitioners Board website, is go up there and check whether the person's registered if they haven't told you they're registered. So ask the question. And then uh, if you feel the need to, you can freely double check. Um, the practitioner will, would be able to give you their registration number. So if you want anybody that's unafraid of uh, consumer scrutiny, we'll just give that information to you. And these days, you can even check it, check the info on your mobile phone uh, because you're able to look at the website on the mobile phone in somebody's office if that's what you really want to do. The other thing that's interesting and, and, and can sometimes help is talking to people who use a tax agent uh, or a financial advisor. You know, for example, friends and others who've got someone they trust, you may be able to find an advisor that way. But there is an issue there, though. You may not feel comfortable dealing with a person that somebody else feels comfortable with for whatever reason. You're not obligated to, uh, to to engage with a practitioner somebody recommends. If you find you're a bit uneasy for whatever reason, practitioners understand that too. So um, remember the issue of uh, membership of a professional organisation, registration for an appropriate type of service, and also talk to people about the recommendations, whether whether they've got somebody that they recommend. And if, you, if you're not happy with any recommendation, you, you've still got plenty of people to choose from out there in the big wide world. There is one exception, though, that you need to keep in mind, which happens across the accounting world <clears throat> and no doubt in the legal space as well, and that is there are some um, faith communities that don't permit their um, members to be uh, members of associations. For example, you will find that there are people who are auditors who won't be members of one of the professional bodies that look after auditors. Why? Their faith doesn't let them go down that road. Um, and they don't go down that road as a result. So what will happen in regulation is that people will um, be registered, but the ethical requirements, for example, that apply to auditors that are from the accounting profession will apply to auditors that don't have membership in the accounting body as a matter of law. So consumer protection is still covered in that way. Um but, Tom, they still have to be registered with ASIC as a company auditor. Yeah, they still have to have the audit registration. But, but the issue being <clears throat> they're not going to be a member of – they may not be a member of CPA Australia or the Institute of Public Accountants or the Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand because their uh, religion doesn't permit um, associating in other group other groups of that nature. 
out. There is also a lot of tax agents that only have tax agent registration. There's a lot of BAS agents that have only got BAS agent registrations. They might have some other affiliation, but but you can provide a tax agent service or a BAS agent service with just being registered with the Tax Practitioners Board. So just commonly, you- you've got you've got a whole most most practices. I'll say that most. Um, in generalisation, have got a number of arms and that's where you can say, well, maybe the more credentials, you could say the more ethical we, we are. I think it's it's an ethics question and that's what's coming up as well, to be a fit and proper person and basically keep up to breast, uh, up to speed, abreast of all the um, tax changes and things. Yeah. Like that, right? That's, that's the thing that we're doing. But with having more credentials, you're just going to be monitored if, if that's the right word or you have to comply with more bodies but yeah i think the the main thing to think about here is make sure you ask the right questions because ultimately as i said in my book that came out back in 2020 called rules and ripoffs it's about the questions you want that's in order to avoid getting the uh the wrong, um, the wrong outcome, or the the, the the wrong end of the stick, as they say in the classics. Uh, Lisa, have I forgotten so anything? Sorry, I was just going to say that's so true, Tom. Because I think a lot of the the, the we, mentioning your Rorts and Ripoffs book, and you look at the things that have been happening since you've written that. Um, you know, in the crypto <clears> space, <throat> that you know, I've got a little bit of an interest in. Uh, it's always you should always ask the question. There should be you should be able to ask your tax agent, advisor, auditor any any question you like to un, for, as an understanding, and they should be able to take the time to explain things to you so you can understand them. So don't I, I would definitely say don't feel embarrassed or anything like that because it's not in your area of expertise. Even if they're a doctor or 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 an architect or whatever other professional, a, a pilot, anything like that, that's their area of expertise. Your area of expertise, yeah, like my area of expertise is is in tax and accounting. So, therefore, the clients should always be able to ask me any questions I can explain it to them. And that's really, really important. I think that's critical because some people find it, may find it intimidating to deal with someone who's got a body of expertise, whereas the client, if the client should be the one asking the question and giving the <laughs> kicking the uh, said person with body of expertise uh, in the shins a bit to get a better explanation. Exactly, and like if we know that it's not right, we'll tell you and say we can't do that. Right, it's not possible. And that doesn't mean you go off an opinion shop for everything. You don't go to like Dr. Google to see if you're dying or not. Uh, but that's exactly what that's exactly what what we do, right? We basically say no, and this is the reason. And it then becomes a two way conversation about this is the way the tax law works, and mm. why you can't claim this deduction, said client. Well, I think what we're saying is um, there are only certain circumstances in this world where Adam Vance advised journalists. <laughs> um, uh, I'm asking him to Google it during the last election campaign fits 
you know, you are better off asking the questions of the expert, uh, whether it be the accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, in order to get the answer. Uh, because self you know, self-diagnosis can uh, can be rather risky, especially if you find that two symptoms you think you have are associated with about three or four different ailments. Yeah, if you're not qualified as a medico, um, you're going to give yourself you're going to give yourself all sorts of other worries as well as you know heightened blood pressure, no doubt, because you don't know how to interpret that. Oh, exactly. And being an expert, we've got a very broad understanding of how things work as well, Tom. And we find that when a client asks us a question, they've got to know the consequences of their of, of the answer we give them as well. So we may need to understand if we take a deduction now, could that cause some sort of capital gains tax issue in the future and all those sort of things that can come together. Like I'll have clients that will come to me and say, Lisa, I want to save the, save the most tax. And I go, well, is that the right really right question to ask me it's you know do something for an economic reason and then let's work out the tax but if you're going to do something for an economic reason talk to me beforehand because we might have a few options but you do things to make a dollar first and if you you save 50 cents on tax fabulous but if you've got to pay tax on all that dollar well that's the way it goes yeah and that's part of the part of the pun um Lisa, you've been generous with your time it's been a been a little while since we've done one of these uh, where do people where can people find out more about you online you've got a website haven't you yeah so my my company is perigee advisors and probably follow me on twitter austaxter a-u-s-t-a-x-t-e-r i usually give a few pearls of wisdom that could be interesting either in the tax or crypto space uh but yeah i, I operate uh through my my company and so uh yeah you can check me out and look me up and see what i do so excellent thanks tom well i thank you for joining me and we'll no doubt, do one of these again fairly soon okay everyone take care and we'll be we'll be in touch again through this podcast relatively shortly <laughs>